Hey, let's pray, guys. Let's pray together. And um, actually, we're going to pray as a church, okay? And so I'm just going to kind of make space and guide us through a little bit of prayer time. Sound good? Okay, so let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and um, let's start out by just, um, pr- just pray quietly to yourself and something you're thankful for. Just one thing you're thankful for. Now, maybe there's someone that you know has a need. Let's just lift up that need. Someone who's sick, someone who's hurt. Maybe it's a family member, or a church, or a relative, or a friend. It's something that, something that they need. And now let's just tell God one thing we're sorry for. God says this in Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread, and you work hard for that which will not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Father, we thank you for this wonderful prayer, this wonderful call to worship you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. You are the God of grace. You say, come to me and buy if you don't have money. Buy the good stuff, the stuff that satisfies. Come to me. And the only thing that that we have to have is nothing. That's the only thing that we have to have is to get you is nothing. And so we come to you with our sin. We come to you with our hurt. We come to you with our problem, with our pains, our physical pains, all of that. We come to you. We come to worship you. You are the God who grace. Your arms are wide open to all who come to you with nothing, and you fill it. You fill it. You fill us with good and rich and satisfying things. We thank you for being the God of grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayers, and uh, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, family. How are we doing? Good? Nine of you? All right. Nine of you, all right. Thank you for talking back. All right? I like that. All right? So, uh, we are in our series called Soundtrack, and it's a, it's a, we're going through Psalms. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, get them out, open them up. We're going to be in Psalm 11, the 11th Psalm. 
And so I'm going to read the whole psalm, give us some context of where we're going. We're going to pray again, ask for God's help to understand it, and um, uh, help uh, him to help me not say stuff that's dumb, all right? And then we're going to jump in. Sound good? All right. So let's read Psalm 11. You guys have been looking at this all week. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a little bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You have spoken in years past, and you are still speaking today. Thank you for that. You're a living God who talks to us. And so God, I just pray right now that your power would be on your word today and that you would use my ramblings and somehow make something that's useful out of that that would bless your people. Change us, we pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to come now and speak to our hearts and change our lives, Lord. We need you, we love you, and it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. So in 2004, Pixar and Disney, they got together and they made a different kind of superhero movie. It was called The Incredibles. Anybody see this movie, The Incredibles? Great. Uh, we need to, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you, or the, 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 but the general plot is this, if you haven't seen it. It's a film about superheroes who are forced to hide their powers because society has outlawed them. All right? The p- people are suspicious of their powers, and they don't want to be rescued by the supers anymore. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to be helped by them. They want them to be quiet and shut up and hide themselves. That's what they want from these uh, superpower people, basically. So the supers are being sued and bankrupted by the very people that they're trying to help, by the very people that they're trying to do good to. They're doing harm back to them. So... It's a really good picture, actually, of the old adage that says, no good deed goes unpunished. You ever heard that? Or how about this one? Good guys finish last. Right? We've heard that one. So if you take a look at the latest batch of superhero movies that Hollywood's been putting out, whether that's Batman series or the Spider-Man series or the Avengers, this theme has been being brought up again and again. That was started by this movie. They all bring up this question, what do you do when you're attacked for doing the right thing? When you're doing good 
and evil is returned for that. What, what do you do? How are you supposed to respond to that? And in fact, it seems like society is really interested in that theme or that question. What happens when we do the right thing and we're sued? Or worse, we're put in jail. What happens when we live God's way and we're thrown under the bus by the other kids at school? What then? What happens? What do you do when God's promoting you to management and you have plans that are going to be really great for the company, but your coworkers spend their energy sabotaging you instead of following your leadership? What do you do? What do you do when you, when you do what's right for your children and they respond by expressing how much they hate you? In other words, where do we find stability when we're attacked for doing what is right? It's a great question, isn't it? In fact, some of us may have come to God this morning with some of those types of questions rattling around in our head. And so as we come to the scriptures, we need to hear God's answer to that big question. We find our stability. Listen, we find our stability in the character and conduct of the Lord. That is where we find it, family. David gives us three solid rocks, three solid footholds to stabilize us when we are knocked off of our feet for doing what is right. The first one is that we find our stability in knowing the Lord is more sovereign than whatever is attacking us. The Lord is more sovereign than whatever is attacking us. Let's go to verses 1 through 4 again. It says, In the Lord I take refuge. So he kind of starts out with application, and then he gives the explanation through the rest of the psalm. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a little bird to your mountain. That's your strength. That's what you're going to trust in, that big strong mountain, that stronghold. How can you say to my soul, flee like a little bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they fitted the arrow to the string to shoot in the dark, the upright at heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's what people are saying around him. Here's what he says. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. What do you do? The Lord. Interesting, isn't it? points them to the Lord. There's two categories of reality for us and the authors of Scripture. Creator and creation. That's it. There's not a third category for life or for reality. Creator or creation and everything goes into one of those two buckets. Are you tracking with me? That's where it goes. According to the authors of the Bible, only one thing goes in the category of creator, the Lord. That's it. He's the only one that fits in that bucket, all right? So uh, when you create entire planets or create multiple galaxies or whole mountain ranges that divide entire continents or you create oceans that no human has been able to find the bottom of them, then you get to wear the label of creator. Until then, you're creation, all right? It doesn't matter how powerful you are, you're creation, What David is doing here is pointing our hearts to the fact that God is ruler over all creation, including our enemies that attack us. He does this by combining God's two uh, dwelling places, so to speak, heaven and earth. God not only 
rules the earth and the earthly beings. That's the temple part he was talking about. But he rules the heavens and all the heavenly beings. That's the, that's the heaven part, the throne in heaven part of, of verse 4. All creation stands under God's sovereign rule. There's not a place in all creation that is not under his divine jurisdiction right now as we're sitting here in this room. He's going, mine, 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 mine. And over in that court, yep, mine too. I'm sovereign over all of it. Because the Lord alone is the creator of everyone and everything, that means that he has authority over everyone and everything by virtue of being the creator. That includes angels. That includes spirits. That includes animals. That includes weather. That includes geography and humans. He is the Lord of all. It's a sweeping statement about God, our God. When we are in a crisis for doing what is right, whatever is attacking us, listen to this, whatever is attacking us is going to present itself to us as sovereign over us. Is that right? Have you felt that? Have you experienced that? It will present itself as having ultimate authority over our life in that moment. I'm talking about in real time. And in those moments, we need to remember that they are merely creation, not creator. They are under God's authority. Do you guys, ever, do you guys remember the movie Rocky IV? Did anybody see Rocky IV? Just me. No. You heard about it. Couple of honest people. All right, thank you. So Rocky IV. It was a great movie. It was during the Cold War, right? So it's U.S. versus the Soviet Union, right? Rocky versus Drago, the Russian. Remember that? So Drago is bigger than Rocky. He's stronger than Rocky. I mean, he trains with scientists, and Rocky's out like in the snow, lifting logs, you know. So they're in the fight. It's the final scene. They're in the ring. And Rocky is just giving Drago everything he's got. He's punching him as hard as he can. And Drago's just smiling and mocking him. He's not even phased. Remember this? And it's, it's the final part of that scene. There comes this point in that movie. There comes a point in that fight where Rocky gets off a lucky punch. And it cuts Drago. And he starts to bleed a little bit. And he's stunned. He's, he's on his heels. And the bell rings, and the men go to their corners, and they're exhausted. And he's, Rocky slumps down in his chair, and his trainer comes over to him, and he gets in his ear. His trainer gets in Rocky's ear, and he starts shouting over and over and over, Look, Rock, look, Rock. He's not a machine. He's just a man. He's just a man. He's just a man. He's shouting that in Rocky's ear over and over and over. He's not a machine. He's just a man. He's just a man. Listen, when our enemies attack us, they present themselves as this all-powerful Drago. The very foundations of society are being destroyed. What can you do about that? They present themselves as this all-powerful Drago. They're invincible. Nothing can stop them, right? And David is getting in our ear like our trainer, and he's saying, look, look. They're just creation. They're just a man. God is creator. God is creator. God is creator. He is the Lord over and over in our ear. That's what we need to hear. That's what we need to remember. God rules over them. God rules over them. When we are attacked, our perspective of reality gets twisted in a moment. God becomes small. 
and our enemies become big. Have you noticed that? It's in those moments we need to see and remember the greatness of God. That's what we've forgotten in those moments, and we need to have reminders of that. There's a couple ways you could do that. There's a lot of ways you could do it, but I'll just share a couple. You know what you could do? Tonight, you could sit outside tonight when it's dark and just look at the stars and feel small. It's really good to feel small when you're in trouble because you kind of feel small anyway, right? Feel real small. Look at those stars and try to count them. And when you lose count, start over and try counting them again. So you can feel the expansiveness of the stars in the galaxy. And remember, as expansive as those stars are and as big as the galaxy is, God made them. Those stars only hang there because God has placed them there. And they fall when he tells them to fall from the sky. What are your enemies to God? How about this? You could go to the foot of Mount Rainier. Just stand there and look and try to find the uppermost tip, if you can, of Mount Rainier. Let yourself feel small. God created that massive, gorgeous, strong mountain. And as strong as that mountain is, it's just, it's clay in God's hand, is it not? It's clay. It's Play-Doh in his hand. can do what he wants. It was created by God's command, and it stands purely because he wills it to stand. What are your attackers to God? That's your God. Are you reeling from an attack? Do you need to get your feet under you? Get your balance again? Ask God to show you his greatness. God is great, so you don't have to be, family. Isn't that great? God is great, so you don't have to be great. Take that load off your back. That's God's. You find rest in that. There's another foothold for us in this passage. We find our stability in knowing the Lord has a purpose for whatever is attacking us. He has a purpose for whatever is attacking us. It's here in verse 5. It says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Now, there's this theology that pervades the Bible, pervades the Old Testament. It's called the retribution principle. Okay? And so it goes something like this. Those that follow God prosper, and those that reject God suffer, each according to their level of righteousness or wickedness. Okay? Now, people today still hold this theology when they think about God. We kind of talked a little bit about it in Psalms 1, did we not? Tree planted by the water, right? Chaff blown by the wind. It's throughout the Bible. And that principle is generally true. Generally, but not absolutely. And the problem comes in with our mind, we absolutize that for everyone, every time, every situation. It causes a lot of confusion for us. And it causes a lot of confusion for people in the Bible, if we notice. In fact, that's what Job is all about. There's times in our experiences when the wicked get the promotion and the righteous get fired. Amen? Experience that anybody or seen that anybody? Yes. There are times when people, and you know people, they took care of their body as, as, as the temple of God and they ate everything right and they did everything right. 
and they get terminally ill. And the guy who lives like hell and devil, he lives to 99 years old. What is up with that? We know this. We've seen this with our own eyes. How about this? You do what is right, okay? You tell the truth, and you get investigated? But the person that was hiding and cheating, they get off scot-free? Situations like that can be so confusing to us. They can take us off guard, as it were. It, it completely sends us into a tailspin sometimes because we did not expect it. We expected to prosper because we did what was right. And instead, we're attacked. Our health is being attacked by a virus. Our, our faith is being attacked by doubts. Our reputation is being attacked by people who call themselves our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we naturally say, God, why did you make this a part of your wonderful plan for my life? <laughs> why did, what are you doing in this? Davis, David gives us an answer to that unbelievably complicated question. It's not the answer. It's an answer. In fact, he doesn't give us an answer. He gives us like a part of an answer here. Because the question is so complicated and our minds are so finite. This is what he says. It is a handle we can grab onto though. It says, God is proving our faith in him is genuine through the attacks to it. You tracking with me? What God is doing here is that he's proving our faith in him is genuine through the attacks to our faith in him. How do you know if you've really put your faith in God if it's never been tested? You don't know. That's the answer. You don't know unless it gets put to the test and you still believe in him. Then you know. Then you know. It wasn't fake faith in God. It was genuine faith in God. How do you know if you're following God because you love Him or you're just following Him because you love His blessings that you get from Him? How do you know? You don't know until the blessings stop and the suffering comes and you end up still following God. And then you know. You know it was a real faith. You're now armed with the knowledge that your faith in Him was actually, turns out, genuine faith. And so the next time suffering comes, you're armed with that knowledge. It's helpful, isn't it? It just became helpful for you. Why does God's wonderful plan for our life include trials and attacks sometimes? Because he wants our faith in him to be useful and our testimony about him to be believable. Did you hear me? Which is more useful for your daily life? I'm talking about day-to-day, going to work, going to school, everyday kind of life. Which is more useful for you and I? A faith in God that is untested or tested? Tested, right? Every time, hands down. That is more useful for us. Which is more believable to people? A trial-proven testimony about the goodness of God or an unproven testimony about the goodness of God, which is more believable. Trial proven every time. Every time. There is no testimony without a test. 
That's what a testimony is. Years ago, I believed that God wanted me to go to seminary. I'm in southwest Missouri, and so I'm going to move to Chicago, Illinois. That was a big move for me because I only lived, pretty much only lived in that part of town most of my life. So I packed up all my stuff and my little red Jeep, and I moved up to Chicago to go to Trinity. And I had been talking to this stranger on the phone. I hadn't seen him, hadn't met him. I remember his name was Mark. I'll never forget this guy's name, Mark. He said he had a one-bedroom apartment for me, $500 a month, includes utilities. And I was like, well, that's a pretty sweet deal for that area. Sign me up. So I get there, I roll in that night, and I realize that I would be living illegally in a dark basement of a crack house, which, by the way, is also illegal. (laughs) But good news for me, for $150 more, I could move upstairs to a nicer room. And uh, I had three days to find a place to live, or I was going to go home, and my life and my trajectory and my plan was going to be radically altered, family. It crushed me. I didn't know what to do. I thought, maybe I can make this work. Maybe I can go to grad school in this place and learn to study. No, it wasn't going to happen. I was in a strange town. I want you to feel this. I want you to picture this with me. I'm in a strange town. I don't know where to go or how to get there. I've spent all my money on gas to get me to the school, and I have no place to live. I have no place to live. Every place I called for housing was full because it was so close to the start of the semester, and my life was about to radically change, and I did not know what was going to happen. You talk about getting knocked off your feet. You talk about getting completely confused. God, I thought I heard you. I guess I did not hear you. That, that, that like hits you to your soul, right? You question everything at that point. I call this one last place, and the guy answers the phone. He tells me, look, there's a guy from Texas. He's coming to school. He's going to rent the room. But I haven't heard from him in a month. So if he doesn't show up tomorrow at 5 o'clock, it's yours. That's, that's what I got. So I prayed to God. I said, God, look, I thought I heard you. I thought you told me to move here. I thought this was your will for my life, and I'm obeying you, and this is what happened. I don't know what's going on. I'm really confused. But I believe that you're all-knowing and you're all-powerful. So you either know of a place I can stay, or you can make a place for me to stay. But I've got till 5 o'clock tomorrow for you to do something. Help. Amen. That was my prayer. (laughs) There wasn't anything else for me to pray. All right? At 4.45 the next day, the guy calls me, and he said, the guy from Texas never showed up. Come on over. The room's yours. Listen, guys, I praised God to everyone I met for three months (laughs) at that school and strangers on the street. God is good. I don't believe in God. I do. (laughs) I do. And let me tell you, who he is. God uses trials to make our faith in him useful and our testimony about him believable. I believe that God provides not because I read that truth in some book in seminary, but because God made me live that truth in seminary. Are you tracking with me? It's a good thing that he does this. Do you see why we need to be a part of the church? You see why we need to be part of the body of Christ. I'm not like imaginary, but really part of people that are physical and we know them. 
because we need to know and hear the stories of the people of God. We need to be a part of this. We need to know about other believers that have come through tests, they've come through trials, and they have a proven testimony about the goodness of God. We need to tell our stories as well. We need to tell our stories about how when the days were dark and the fight was fierce and we didn't know where God was and it looked like there was no way out, God made a way. God showed up and God showed off. And we need to tell those stories, the big ones and the small ones. We need to tell those stories to people, to one another, because it strengthens the faith of fellow believers. I need you. And you need me because of what we're going through, because this is part of God's plan and his purpose. Are you a part of this community that we call Crossway? Or are you just checking off a box on Sunday? It's a good question. It's a good inventory question, isn't it? Let me frame it a different way. Do you know the testimonies about God that are sitting in this room? Has anybody heard your testimonies about the goodness of God in this room that are like on the other side of the room? Do they know? Do you know? That's being a part of church. It's, it's really easy to do. It's as easy as just grabbing a couple people. You could do this today. It's so easy you could do it today. You just grab a couple people. Hey, sh- sh- hey, let's meet this week, and I just want you to tell me about the test God has brought you through and how he showed up. Let me tell you mine. It's that easy. You don't need a plan and a program. That's how you do it, all right? There's one more foothold for stability that we find in this passage. We find our stability in knowing that the Lord will destroy whatever is attacking us. The Lord will destroy whatever is attacking us. It says in verse 6 and 7, Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall see his face. As, As helpful as it is to remember that God is sovereign over all the attacks that we suffer, and and even more helpful to know that God has a good purpose in all the attacks that we suffer, we're still left with that sting of injustice, aren't we? Am I telling the truth? Yeah. We still feel that sting, even though we know those things are true about God's character and his conduct. And why do we still feel that sting? Because the wicked have not been held accountable for what they did. That's why. They're still running around doing fine. They're doing all right. Whether it's murder, whether it's bringing false charges against someone, whether it's maligning our character or sabotaging our dreams. So what if God has a good purpose for that in our life? Something happened that shouldn't have happened. And the scales are left unbalanced. We know that. We feel that. So there's this one more handle that David gives to us to help stabilize us when we're knocked off balance by attacks. It's this. In the end, God will destroy the things that are attacking us. Unlike us, God does not seek revenge. He brings justice. Unlike us, 
God is completely righteous. So he cannot allow wickedness to go on and go on and go on indefinitely. There will be an end to that. And he's very patient and he's very long-suffering. But he says there will be an end to that nonsense one day. He will bring judgment either in this life, which he does, sometimes he does that. Or he'll bring that in the end one day. But one thing is for certain, he will bring it. And we can take some solace in knowing that God will balance the scales and the righteous will watch him do it. They will see him do it. Let's go 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 6 and, and verse 9 I think should be on there. For if God did not spare angels, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, if all this is so, implied it is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials and hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Okay? God has a track record of bringing justice to the wicked. So what does that mean for you and I? It means that we can be released from the desire for revenge. We can be released. Those chains can be broken off of us. Isn't that great to know, family? We can be released from seeking revenge. Revenge is the counterfeit, bargain aisle, do-it-yourself kit version of justice, okay? It's putrefied justice. Because it's tainted. It's tainted. And because of that, it will never satisfy people. But God promises that nobody gets off the hook in the end. God gets the last laugh. God gets the last word. Not his Enemies, And so you and I don't need to continually burn calories and burn mental energy in trying to seek revenge from those that would want to do harm to us. You and I can be assured of something far better than revenge. Justice. And justice is what satisfies. Though God is very patient with the wicked, and he is. And though he's very slow to anger, and he is. God will certainly bring justice. And so we can take hope in that and comfort in that. Have you been attacked? Do you need justice? God says, if you are upright, you will get it. You will get it. You don't need to slide into seeking revenge. God will give you something better than that. He'll give justice. So, but, but here's the problem. And you knew there was a problem coming, right? Here's the problem. This promise is for the upright. It's for the upright. You see, when we read this psalm, we kind of think we're the good guys, and them out there, they're the bad guys, right? That's how I tend to read it. Is that how you read it this week? So I'm a good guy, they're the bad guy. 
right? And God loves the good guys, and I'm getting attacked, just like they were getting attacked, so I must be the good guy. Not so fast. Not so fast. Are you and I completely upright in all of our ways? I'm not talking about just like the deeds we do and the actions that we do. Are we completely upright even in the thoughts that we have, in the motives of our heart? Are we? When you are attacked, do you respond by completely trusting in the Lord? Or do you trust in other things like the mountains and money? Completely upright? Can you say that you have never sought revenge to balance the scales? Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Isn't it great you can come to church and you can come to Jesus and be honest? Be honest with who you really are and trust him? I love that. So if we're reading this rightly, we get to the end of Psalms 11 and we have this really great big uh-oh moment. <laughs> uh-oh. Psalm 11 is pointing us to our need for a righteous rescuer. Not a vigilante, a righteous rescuer. It points us away from becoming a right person to trusting in an upright person. Our hope of stability doesn't lie in our morality, our goodness, the fact that we've never dropped the F-bomb, right? The fact that we've never done anything wrong in our life, the fact that we've never maligned somebody's character, we've never committed murder, and so therefore I'm good, I'm upright now, because I did all these really good things. That's not where our hope lies. That's not where our hope lies lies. Our hope lies in Christ's upright character, in Christ's upright conduct. He's the only truly, fully, completely upright man. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Let's go there. It says this. Who, he's talking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, listen to this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. How obedient? Pretty obedient? Six days a week obedient? How obedient? To the point of death. Even a vile, embarrassing death, death on a cross, right? Therefore, God has highly exalted him, him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord, and the Lord's name is Jesus, is what he's saying. To the glory of God the Father. Christ came into the world and he boldly proclaimed that our stability is not found in becoming an upright person, but in trusting the only truly upright person, himself, Jesus. In Christ, God was sovereignly using the attacks against Jesus by wicked people for his purpose. To bring salvation to you and to me in all the world. It was through the attacks of the wicked that God defeated death and sin. Isn't that crazy? It was through the attacks of the wicked that he actually, uh, he, he defeated death and sin. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day, and now the greatest enemies we could ever be attacked by, death and sin, 
They're powerless over us. They're powerless over all those who put their trust in Jesus. We no longer die. We go from life to life because of him. Because of him. The promise of Psalm 11 is fulfilled in Christ. Who, and it's made ours by faith in him. This is really good news for attacked people and shaken up people. Our greatest enemies aren't those people out there. It's death and sin. That's the ultimate final enemy. They take down everything, right? And Jesus has defeated that. Jesus has taken care of that. They've been defeated by the righteous life and righteous death and righteous resurrection of Jesus Christ. So take shelter in the promise of the Lord by trusting in Jesus Christ. Um, if you're keeping up with our experiment, we're in Psalm 16 next week. Okay? You can grab one of the resources over on that table. Grab two people. Say, hey, let's do this together. Let's meet up on Friday or Saturday and let's talk about it and pray through it. It's that easy. It's that simple. Okay? Um, I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you. Okay?